Goswami. Well, good morning. If you have a Bible with you this morning, turn it to Acts chapter 2, and if you failed to bring one, there should be one in front of you underneath the seat. If not, if you'll raise your hands, the ushers will bring one to you. Does anybody need a Bible? Is everybody good? Very good. I think everybody did a very good job from the worship to the play. I heard descriptions as cute and precious, and I think that was related to Matt and Ray, and the the little girls did good too. (laughs) Let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 2, I'll be starting at verse 22. The Apostle Peter is speaking here. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Lord, again, we thank you that, Lord, just truly as you were set free from death, we're set free as well. And so we just give up to you this time, once again, that you would bless us, that you would tie our worship together, the the monologues that we just heard with your word. And so, Father, we just thank you for this day. Just pray, Father, that we would live lives that would glorify you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. So there's Peter. Peter has an audience this day. He finally finds himself in front of a group of people. Hasn't been such a good thing in the past, because if you look throughout the Gospels, Peter is always saying the wrong thing. But now, there he is. He's a man filled with the Holy Spirit. He's standing before close to 3,000 people. Now, what Peter did not have, he didn't have a, a big building He didn't have sound and he did not have the latest worship team, didn't have cool clothes or comfortable chairs, but what he did have, he had an opportunity and he had a plan. Opportunity was the work of ministry for those who were standing before him as they were lending him an ear, and the plan, the plan was the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look at the book of Acts, it's the main message that goes throughout. So, Good Friday, the day that the Lord was hung upon the cross. There's usually two main reactions when Christ is considered upon the cross. First is a sentimental response to seeing Christ's abused body. The toll of the lashings and the whippings, the beatings and the bruisings, they're really hard to look at. And it's because of this, we can so easily lose focus of the spiritual nature of what is transpiring upon the cross. There are those who say that the Lord died of a broken heart, but a broken heart does not love the way the Lord loved upon the cross. I do not believe he died of a a broken heart whatsoever. That would be very sentimental, but not very accurate. The things that broke the Lord's heart are the despair of death and the rejection of salvation. Ultimately, what it is that broke the Lord's heart was man's sinful nature. Not the sins, this sin and that sin. We can start start ranking sins and relating sins to others and your sin is always going to be worse than my sin, but it just boils down to man's sinful nature. The other response to seeing Christ upon the cross is a spiritual one. 
John 19, verse 30, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished. And bowing His head, He gave up His spirit. What is finished? God's plan for healing His heart, for the salvation of mankind. It was accomplished upon the cross. What was the cross to Christ? Well, it was that which in the garden we see, it caused His heart to be troubled because we've seen in past messages this week that He was taking sin upon Himself. For the very first time, God was taking sin upon Himself so that He could pay a price, a price that none of us could pay. But in Hebrews chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 2, we get a little bit different perspective. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one who developed the plan. He's the one who brought the plan to completion. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him. So, looking at him upon the cross, understanding either the sentimental or the spiritual, how could that possibly be joy? Because he knew on the other side of the cross was us. Was us. Was mankind in eternity with those who he truly had a heart that beat for. For the joy that was set before him, it says he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We know he sat down because the work for salvation, it was finished. And the proof of this is seen in the resurrection of our Lord. Resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the core of the gospel. Without the resurrection or the death, there's really no good news. The death and resurrection is the essence of Christianity, is that all die, but born-again believers will be raised to a new and glorious life. It's the great hope that we have within us. The death and resurrection, it was the purpose for Messiah. It was God's plan for man all along. As we see in Acts, the presentation of the resurrection is what the Apostle Peter did when giving the reason for the hope that resided in him. And the idea again is, you see these men who completely were clueless in the the Gospels, now their lives have been changed. Remember, they were the ones who forsook Christ. They ran away when things got hard, when things got tough. Even Peter, the man who stood up and said, I'm willing to die for you. But that was an act he couldn't accomplish. So what changed? What changed is they saw the resurrected Lord. What changed my life? I saw the resurrected Lord. Not physically, but I saw him in the lives of brothers and sisters. It continues to strengthen the great hope that I have within me as I see the resurrected Lord in my fellow believers. Because again, what are we doing here today? It's a beautiful day outside. It's a beautiful day outside. Why, why would you come and why would you occupy a church? What, what brings us here? What brings us here every Sunday? I mean, again, it kind of, and I, I sit here and I look at all that God has done and it's an amazing thing. And, and then we pass the sock around and, and people put money in it. And that's kind of an amazing concept when you think about why would people do all these things? Why are those people given of their time to spend with your children? And again, it's an amazing thing. And what I see in all of that is I see God. I see God. I see God in the hearts of people who just simply want to serve Him to the capacity to which they were called. I see people that want to worship Him and that's what they've given of their, of their resources and their finances for because they want to see the work of God expand. 
I, I see the worship team up here and the people sitting there and lifting their hands and worshiping God because they want to see Him glorified because they understand not only the magnitude of what He accomplished upon the cross, but also the reality of the resurrection and that our Redeemer truly lives. He lives today. He lives in the hearts of men and women and continues to move even in the midst of this perverse generation because you know what? Generations have been always perverse. There's always been the sinful nature of mankind. And so here's Peter. He's given the opportunity now to speak to more than 3,000 people. Now, I keep saying more than 3,000 people because later on in the same chapter, we'll see those who gladly received his word were about 3,000 people. As there's always people who receive the word, there's always those who reject the word. So I'm assuming there was quite a bit more. So the first thing we see is the audience. He speaks to them as men of Israel here, but it's that's who he's speaking to. That's where he's at. But today, well, today the word given for consideration is to the people who are in Ontario at this point. And so all Peter asked for is that they would lend an ear. And that's all I ever pray for, Lord, that, that you would give us, Lord, just people who are desirous of your word or at least curious to hear what it has to say. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. Next, we see Peter's approach. Verses 22 through 24, Men of Israel, hear the words, these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. His approach or method for ministry is the cross of Christ, and again, the resurrection from the dead. Notice how he refers to the Lord. He refers to the Lord as Jesus of Nazareth. There's a mild rebuke here. Consider the times. It's about 50 days, at least, past the crucifixion of Christ. And as that has, has passed, there were some that were even there, because he's in Jerusalem at this time, there were some in that audience who were consenting to the death of Christ. The rebuke? Well, in John 19, verses 19 through 20, it says, Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth. And so those who, those who saw the, the, the cross, those who saw Christ there. Now, even if you're an unbeliever here today, there's something striking about Christ upon the cross. Biblically or theologically, we know that's because it's the Holy Spirit. It's the love of God through the Holy Spirit that drives us to the cross, and there's that attraction that's there, and it's just undeniable if you're honest with yourself. And so there were those who were consenting to unto his death and, and saw Christ upon the cross, and they saw that sign, Jesus of Nazareth. And so now when Peter brings it back up again, there's the conviction there's a conviction because they were consenting, they were agreeing to his death. But the problem was, this is an innocent man. And they're understanding, this is a man who was undeserving of that, so there's the conviction. This sign was placed there so that all would know Hebrew. It was written in, this is the language of religion. It was written in Greek, the language of science and culture and philosophy. And it was written in Latin, the language of good government, so that it would transpire all all who were there, just all 
all, all nations and all tongues so that they would understand and know who it was was hung upon the cross. So again, burned in their mind is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, an innocent man whom they have killed. And make no mistake, even though they were culpable and responsible, Peter also wants to make the point that it was God who was in control even during that time. Again, verse 23, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You just consider that. The determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. The cross was planned. The cross was planned by God. This was his plan, accumulation of all that had gone on before in history to this one point. All of history was leading up to this point, and now all history that preceded that or, or came after that, it all focused back upon that point. That we would sit here today some 2,000 years later and focus upon that point in time when something undeniably happened something that altered the course of history and the, man, the way man considers even time. And so Peter starts out with the word him. He's making the point, although they knew the evidence to be overwhelming concerning the Lord's innocence, they still murdered him. He heads in a direction now because of the implied question. So, well, if this was supposed to be, and if he was who he said he was, how could anybody murder him? Well, we need to consider we all murdered him. We all murdered him because of our imperfections, because of our failures. Because although we may consider ourselves to be good people, we know, in fact, we're not. We know our thoughts, and to a degree, even the intents of our thoughts. We know, it seems like the times that we're, we're trying harder to do good, we end up not doing good. And the things that we don't want to do, we end up doing, and and again, that, that, that attempt at perfection, we always fall short. And so, because God has given a law, there needed to be a price paid for failure, and it was Christ who paid that price. And that being the case, since this was God's plan all along, ought we not to see a detailed picture of what transpired upon the cross so that we knew what was exactly going on upon that cross? Shouldn't we see it previously? Turn over to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, chapter 53. It gives a detailed account. And I want to look a little bit deeper than just superficial. So Isaiah starts out in the first three verses, kind of how I've started out today, as far as not looking at the superficial but looking at the spiritual. He says, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, and we know that this is speaking of the future Messiah, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground during very unspiritual times. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Again, his attraction was not superficial. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Well, that's still going on today. Go out today, go into one of the malls and preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It's Easter Sunday, that's what the church should be doing. Go out there and, pre and, and see the reaction that you get from people there. And then go out and start preaching the Easter bunny. And they'll bring their kids to you to sit on your lap. 
It's the society that we're in. There's the absolute rejection of Christ, and there's the giving over to fantasy and fables. And they rejoice in that, and they celebrate in those things. But again, we know there's going to be that one day that man is going to have to give an account of himself. See, that's what the Holy Spirit convicts all of mankind of, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Of sin, because again, everybody, whether they want to admit it or not, knows the imperfections in their life. Of righteousness, because everybody knows that there is a God. Even the agnostic will recognize that there's a God. He'll just say we can't know Him. But nonetheless, all of mankind will acknowledge that there's a God, sin, righteousness, and judgment, that we know we're going to have to give an account of ourselves. There's that conviction that was there, that is there, and it can be a hard thing to deal with. But fear not, because of verses 4 through 6. Verses 4 through 6, we have a detailed account that we can look back based upon the resurrection of Christ, look back at the cross of Christ, and see what transpired at his death. And so, why was all of this necessary? Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 22, verses 21 through 22, it's described as being determined. The cross of Christ was determined. So this was a necessity in history. Why was it all necessary? Verse 4, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. We, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to His own way. And the Lord has laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. Now most of you have heard that before. But look at the details of what is being spoken of here. First it says, well, it was all necessary so that he could bear our griefs. The idea is bear, the idea, he was lifted up for our disease. We have that disease, that incurable disease, sin, that nobody can do anything about. We're, we're at a loss. What do we do with sin, especially the big sinners of society, such as murderers and thieves and all? Well, but let's throw them in prison. Well, let's throw them in prison and then let's try to convert them, not to Christianity, but let's, let's try to redeem them in prison. But how well is that working? We have jails that are full and everybody that comes out soon is, is back in. It's not working at all. And so Christ came. He was lifted up. He was lifted up upon that cross because of this disease that sin is in mankind. It's that which has consumed us and one day it's that which is going to kill us. So there was the necessity of the lifting up of the cross because of this disease. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on that last day. Unless the Father in heaven draws him. Jesus is saying, unless the Father in heaven draws him to me, then, well, when that does happen, then they will be resurrected on that last day. But how does the Father in heaven draw him? Well, in John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus said, If I am lifted up from the earth... I will draw all peoples unto myself. It's the cross of Christ, the ultimate expression of God's love to all of mankind. It's there that he was lifted up because of our disease. Secondly, it was all necessary so that he could carry our sorrows. He carried our sorrows. And the carry there, the term is, is as a pregnant mother carries a child. There's kind of an interesting contrast there. I got one of those in my house. Well, not in my house, but she was over yesterday and she'll be back today. My daughter, Chelsea, she's, I don't know, like about six months pregnant with Max. And she's there and it's a joy. It's kind of cute to see her pregnant with the big belly and everything. 
But she sits down, it's kind of, ugh, stands up, and look, he's moving, and there's the uncomfortableness. My wife was pregnant with twins, and you can't even tell she was pregnant from behind, but her stomach went way out there. And she was miserable. She was miserable for those last couple of months. There was a joy there, and it was kind of mixed with sorrow and mixed with pain. And that's the idea here, that he could carry our sorrows as a pregnant mother does her child because we were in pain and we were a pain. But nonetheless, because of the understanding of the joy that was to come, Christ carried us. He carried you when you were unattractive. Yet, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. You haven't been always a joy to Christ. I mean, you were, but you were contrary to Christ as well. And we have to understand that and know that, that that made the cross necessary. Why was it necessary? So that he could be smitten by the Father. Smitten? Smitten kind of, I think, reduces or dilutes exactly what that word means. It means brought to the point of despair. In Mark chapter 15, verse 34, And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And again, Jesus is brought to the point of despair. That miracle upon the cross that he's feeling separation from the Father. It's at that point that the sins of the world are laid upon him. And don't let that get past you. That's not only all the sins in the past and the sins present and the sins future, but, but that's your sin. But that's also the sin of those whom God has given you to witness to. I have to be of that mindset. This isn't about me. I'm just a steward. I'm a steward of the valuables of my Lord. And I just need to care for them, and I need to distribute them as he has given me instruction. And so just as surely as Christ died for me upon the cross, that person in your family, that person in your life at the workplace that's most hard-hearted, Christ died for them as well. And that being the case is all i got to do is give the message. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The reason is, is so that you would not be forsaken. For Christ, it was just a matter of hours. For us, it would have been for eternity. Next, it was necessary so that he would be wounded for our transgressions. I wrote it next to that word in my Bible, next to the word wounded. It really should be translated pierced. He was pierced because we were rebellious. Pierced? Well, again... Some 600 years before the event, there's the cross again. As Christ was pierced and he bled from so many points on his body. He he, he bled and, and, and he was crucified so that I would not have to pay that price. Wounded or pierced for our rebellion. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, it says, You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, not as of a lamb without blemish, or as of a lamb without blemish and spot. Fifthly, this was necessary so that he could be bruised for our iniquities. Bruised, once again, bruised doesn't sound so bad, but that word better translated trampled under. He was trampled under by mankind. He was made completely vulnerable for our sake. Trampled under, why? Because of our iniquities or our guilt. And isn't it the beauty of coming to a relationship with Christ? That guilt that we carried around because of the conviction of our sins, We have been set free so that we now have peace in Christ. Just think of the Apostle Paul, because so many times he wrote peace. Peace at the beginning of his letters. Why? Because he understood. He he, He described himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees, 
And as a Pharisee, he was working real hard for salvation. And when you're working real hard for something like that, especially when it comes to God, you realize your shortcomings, and you understand that it's not up to the standard. And it never can be up to the standard. So what happens, and we see this in traditional religion, people get frustrated, and they become very bitter. And that's what traditional religion so easily becomes when we veer off from the Word of God, something that is frustrating and very bitter, and then it becomes a burden. And that's not what the intent is of the Lord, that He would be trampled on because of our guilt, but that means that we've been set free from that guilt. Now we can have joy in the Lord. And then sixthly, it was necessary so that it would come to pass that by His stripes, we would be healed. It's because of his wounds. Christ bled upon the cross. He bled from his head through that uh, that, that crown of thorns. He, He bled from his back because of the whippings and the scourgings. He bled from his side. You saw it illustrated here because of the lance that pierced his side. The hands that had the nails driven through them and the feet as well. And because of that, it says we were healed Again, a better term, you were pardoned. You were pardoned. That, 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 just, that just speaks better to me. You were pardoned. You had the sentence of death upon you. And it's just as Barabbas, as you saw, he, he was there and he was going to die and he was as good as dead. It's that day, the morning of his, uh, of his crucifixion, and then all of a sudden the door was open and he was set free. He was set free. I mean, he was guilty, and he knew he was guilty. The Bible leaves no doubt about that. This man was deserving of what he was about to get. But you should be able to relate to that, because in an essence, we're all Barabbases. We're all Barabbases. Now, we don't know how this man turned out, but nonetheless, he was that who rejected society and basically who rejected, more than likely, he was trying to, to expel Rome, but even good intentions can have such bad results. And... I can relate because I was there. I was at the door of death, not physical, but spiritual. And then there was that day that Christ set me free. Verse 6, all we, all of mankind, like sheep, have gone astray. We've wandered off. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid or put pressure on him the iniquity of us all. We've all gone according to our own way. All of humanity apart from Christ. The problem, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way of death. So go ahead and turn back to Acts. What does today mean to you? Consider that. What does today mean to you? Were you a Barabbas? Were you convicted? Did you have guilt laid upon you? I mean, if you're truly honest with yourself, was that there? And was that a burden that you were carrying around? Well, we've just seen Old Testament and New Testament with Peter that Christ came to carry that. He came to carry it, to really to take it away from us. It says in verse 24, back in Acts chapter 2, this Jesus whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. The resurrection is what validates the Lord's credentials. Without the resurrection... The teachings were false. He was another false teacher. His signs and wonders were lies, and his death was worthless, and the sacrifice for sins has not been made so that we are, well, we need to continue in in the Old Testament ways, which, interesting enough, at the death of the Lord, they stopped way back then. 
Verse 24, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. He overcame death. He overcame death, not only in his life, but he overcame death in our life. All of this was validated by the miracles which we have seen, by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst. And we still see these miracles today, maybe not to the degree that they saw them back then, but we still see God moving. And that's what I was started out saying. You see the people who are serving the Lord. You see the people who've given their lives to Christ. Never fail to see God's hand in that. It's because of the cross that you're able to see those things happen. It's because of the resurrection that it validates the reality of it all. Unfortunately, we go according to our own way. We can be a people like that. We live in a society like that. Everybody is so used to having it their way. But here, in the, in the body of Christ, it's got to be God's way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Verse 36, if you'll skip over there. Therefore, because of all of these things, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. A couple of interesting things here, and then I'll close. All of those who are far off. We're far off in distance. We're far off in time, but we meet that classification. And so, consider this. It says, look look once more at verse 30. Uh, Verse 38, Peter said, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Have you repented? Have you repented? I mean, have you truly meditated upon that and considered that? There's a lot of us who were just raised in the Christian faith, and we're just Christians because mom and dad were Christians, and we just kind of grown up. And we believe all of these things, but is there that moment in time when there was that change? When you came to the realization of the magnitude of the glory of God, remember Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, when he stood there and he, he saw the glory of God in the, in the throne room of God and he became completely undone? That's how it needs to be when we see Christ upon the cross. We can get so used to these images and these logos and all of these things. But again, when we see Christ upon the cross, it's got to be as if we're seeing it for the first time. And if you're truly born again, it'll have that impact upon you. But again, consider yourself. Did you repent? Was there that point in your life that you repented, that you came to the understanding and the knowledge that you're a sinner and something needed to change? Something needed to change. And and maybe you've tried to work those changes out. It's kind of what we do every year at the beginning of the year with the New Year's resolutions. But this is so much deeper. This is so much more. Have you come to that point? Now I'm talking coming to that point within your heart because it's got to start within the inner person. This, this, is, this is just simply between you and your father and I'm just kind of on the outside encouraging you to go there. And it doesn't matter how many church services that you sat in or how long you consider yourself to be saved. This is so that we would know. 
so that we would know and that we would understand because, well, times, time seems to be getting short if you look at the signs that are going on around us and compare them with the Scripture. But again, these things that we need to know and we need to understand are true within ourselves. That have you repented? Have you stopped going, at least in your mind and your perceptions, but also the things that you physically do, stop going in a direction that is contrary to God according to your own way and made the determination to submit yourself to Christ. Everybody here has been hurt by somebody. Everybody here has failed. Everybody here is imperfect. There's nobody here who is a perfect person. There's nobody here who hasn't failed. And there's nobody here who has not been hurt, even hurt within the church. You want to experience hurt within the church? Become a pastor. It's just a reality. It's a reality because we're filled with imperfect people. But the beauty of it all is every person in this church and in with the midst of all of our imperfections, there's a cross planted. As a child, I joined sports. I like sports. Wasn't that good. People kind of would look at me maybe as a failure in that. As a husband, I had great aspirations, but I'd admit it, I wasn't the greatest, still not the greatest husband in the world. And then the father, and you see these children that are being born, and you look at the potential there, but wasn't the greatest father in the world. And I mean, if somebody looked at the history of my fatherhood, you'd say, well, you're okay. Yeah, we're all okay. We, we fail, though. And we fail, and we fail, because it's the shortcomings of our physical abilities. But Christ's spiritual abilities has overcome all of these things. And it's that which causes my life to have meaning, reason, and purpose. The thing about it is, you'll never be able to understand that until you enter into that right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, see, there's really two resurrections. There's the resurrection of the day that you were born again, and then there's the resurrection of that day that you go to be with Christ, either through rapture or through death. These things, these things were prophesied once again so long ago in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, and many of those who sleep on the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the white and the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. It's kind of a concept that a lot of people ignore, and that everybody is going to live forever. As I've said so many times, it's all about location, location, location. John chapter 19. Go ahead and turn over there, and we're going to close from there. John chapter 19. I'm sorry, John chapter 20, verse 11. There's Mary Magdalene, a woman who the Bible describes as being delivered from seven demons. Christ had done a great work in her life. But she was there when Christ was crucified, and now she's gone to the tomb in order to care for the body. She fully expected a body to be there. Verse 11, But Mary stood outside of the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head of the other, and the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, she didn't say, hey, there's angels here. She just kind of nonchalantly answered them. She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. She said a mouthful there, my Lord, my Lord, the one who rules and governs my life. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. 
And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. And this is the essence of Christianity, the resurrection of Christ. How is it that Christ meets us? He meets us in a personal way. There was that one time that in my life he said, Mike, Mike. See, I never had a relationship with him. It was all about the religion. But then when I truly heard his word, there came that time that it was undeniable. I heard my name, not in an audible way, but I heard my name. I heard him say, Mike. And then I turned and said, Rabboni, or or, or teacher. I, I came to an understanding and I came to realization. And then what does he say? Go and tell others. Go and tell others of the risen Lord. And it's the essence of what we do. I got saved because I met the risen Lord, and he said, go and tell others. And it's the same thing that he's asked you. It's very simple. He hasn't asked you for perfection. He hasn't asked you to live a sinless life because he knows that's impossible. He just wants you to acknowledge him and then go out and acknowledge him to others. It's what we've been called to do. It's because of the resurrected Lord. He's paid the price. He's given us the opportunity. And for all who call upon him, For all who call upon him, he dwells within our lives for the purpose of living through our lives. Father, once again, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for this morning, Lord, and and your word, Father, that just speaks volumes to the hearts of men. It speaks volumes to the hearts of the unsaved, Lord, as once again there's that nagging conviction that so easily wells up within our lives. And there's that joy, Father, for the believer. The joy for the believer that understands that it was this word that changed them. And so, Father, with all of conviction that is out there, with all of the guilt that we can so easily harbor, you have come that we would be free and we would find freedom indeed. It's all about just the simple receiving of your word. The Bible tells us if we confess the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. And even as I spoke earlier, this is a personal decision. This is a decision that occurs within each and every person here. But for every decision that's made, Christ has also called us to an outward expression of it. The term that is used in the scriptures is working out your salvation. The work that God has done within you should be manifest without you. And we're given that opportunity even right now because Christ, at the moment that he met Mary... He told her to go and tell others. And now there's an opportunity to see that happen even right here. In a minute, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask if there's anybody here that God has truly worked within their hearts. Maybe you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe you're recommitting your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But again, once you have done that, it's a personal thing. But it's a personal thing to be expressed outwardly. And what it does is it encourages the body of Christ. We see once again the miracle of God working in lives. And we see as God works in lives that he changes lives for the purpose of ministering in the lives of others. So if there's anybody here as eyes closed and heads are bowed, 
who either has not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, or maybe you've walked away from the Lord and understand that all that transpired upon the cross that he has done for you. Again, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I would draw all men unto myself. And we've lifted them up here in this place today. So if you want to receive what the Lord would have for you, or if you have, raise your hand. Raise your hand. I see your hand in the back. I'm not here to make a spectacle of anybody. I'm just going to ask for a raising of the hands, and then we're just simply going to stand up and we're going to pray for you together. Is there anybody else? Don't let another day get by. Don't let another day get by at all. Because we never know when our lives are required of us. Is there anybody here? Anybody else here who found themselves to not be born again? The Lord so desires to set you free of that guilt that you've been harboring. He so desires to bring you into the family where you'll be loved and cared for. Is there anybody else who's been on the outside and needs to come in? Just lift your hand up. It's a hard thing to do, and it should be, because it's going to be life-changing. Anybody else? Father, you have seen the hand that has gone up before you, Lord, and we rejoice. We rejoice in your goodness, Lord, and we rejoice that you, just through the simple giving of your word, Father, that you're able to change lives. And so, Father, we thank you for that miracle of the changed life that occurred in this place today. And so, Father, we just lift ourselves up to you. Now, now, Lord, that we've been filled with your word, I pray, Father, for those who are going into the homes of unsaved family and friends, that you would bless them and that you would fill them with your spirit and that, Lord, you'd be glorified through their lives. So, Lord, we just thank you for this day that we celebrate these things, but I pray, Father, that this celebration would go out throughout every aspect of our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Will you all stand, please?